We're going to open up to the book of James because we'll do a bit of a, a uh, uh, fast mode through James this morning, really. But if you haven't already and you're new, just want to uh, welcome you. We have a, an app for church. If you don't already have it, grab it. On it is all of our teaching stuff from YouTube in there. Um, there's obviously our men's videos that we've got about biblical manhood, uh, fatherhood, masculinity, working, uh, the sort of characteristics we need to have as men. So jump on there and enjoy it. There's also all of our other stuff for Hopers in and through our app. Um, and, uh, and if you haven't already been to one of these things, these are basically <coughs> times when um, we, we believe that the Bible is very intentional and different about how it addresses men and women, that obviously masculinity and femininity is woven into nature and it comes out through biology, but we're basically Freudian uh, Marxist slash um, uh, Darwinian uh, uh, thinkers, secular humanists, if we think that as deep as the male-female divide goes is just our biology. It's obviously in biology, even that is denied today, but it is undeniable, um, but it goes deeper than that. The Bible actually, we, we, we've said this before, we call it gendered piety or, or, or gendered holiness. There's different things that men are called to do than women are called to do. And in fact, there's different ways that the Bible uh, commands us to train men and women. Uh, uh, Paul commands Titus to train the young men to be self-controlled, train the older men to invest in the younger men and themselves be respectable and self-controlled. But he doesn't then say, and go and hold a women's seminar and train the women. There is nothing wrong with that. But the intention of of, of Paul's language is train the men and then the old, the more mature godly women should really invest in and trade the women. So everyone needs good Bible teaching. Both genders need good and deep and sound theology, but there's something about the way that God has designed men and told us to train men when getting together with intention and focusing on what the word of God says to the men of God uh, is, uh, is God's plan and path. We follow it. And I hope you're getting as blessed by I am as I am by all of the time together. So if you are new and this is your first one, you are surrounded by some of the best blokes in the world. There is, uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the amount that guys here dig into the word of God, learn, study, figure out about theology, figure out how to be on mission for the Lord Jesus. Before I went to any seminary graduating class, I would rather go on mission or plan a church with fellas from here than I would from every, anywhere else. I would rather fight in the trenches in a legitimate war with the guys here before finding uh, them anywhere else. These are real men of God. So you're surrounded by good guys who love you and want to pray for you. So if the, your first time you have needs, mention it to somebody and um, uh, no crying. But open up into James. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> today we're talking about, uh, somebody misunderstood me. I need to get better at titling my talks. At the conference, somebody thought I was talking about Satanism when I was talking about statism. Somebody thought I was talking about headship, embracing headship. But I'm talking about embracing hardship. I checked all my emails. I'm sure I spelt it right. Uh, but to embrace headship is to embrace hardship. Uh, we do have a couple of videos on male headship and authority in the home and responsibility as uh, uh, the head of the household and the marriage. That's all on our YouTube. But today we are talking about embracing hardship. And basically the lesson for if we can, if I could summarize what James says to us around embracing hardship, it is... Be patient, don't grumble, establish your hearts, you were made for this, go get them. 
That's pretty much what James says to uh, uh, the men of God, and that's pretty much what we're going to be going for. If you get that, you've got the whole message today. Be patient. Don't grumble. Establish your hearts. You were made for this. Go get them. The problem is um, most men are lazy today, but also just by nature. Most men are lazy. Most boys are lazy. We need to train young boys to be energetic and productive and hard workers. Uh, Most pastors are lazy. Most people you work with are lazy. Most fathers are lazy. And a part of that is a a level of there's cowardice, which comes out with conflict aversion. So as long as there is an enemy in front, the guys will find another way to go because we just steer away from conflict and hardship. We assume either it's beneath us or this can't be God's will for us or whether it's either of those things, I don't care. I'm looking for the easy road. Cowardice and laziness um, uh, manifests as conflict aversion and it's not a manly trait. It's not a biblical or godly trait. Um, and, and therefore, lack, uh, embracing hardship joyfully is what will, will uh, formulate and form in us a lot of biblical manhood. Let me start here in James chapter 1. You've got a phone, you can swing there. If you're prepared enough to bring your Bible, then you can open there. James chapter 1 and verse 2. He says this, Can it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials or hardships, of various kinds or of any kind, of of all sorts of different kinds, any kind of hardship. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So can it all joy when you suffer any single time of hardship? Because there's a promise in there. The, 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 The thing that you take joy in is not the pain right? Unless you're some kind of masochist. You don't take joy in the pain. You take joy in what the pain is producing. And there's a promise here for sons of God. And that's what you need to see yourself as. If you've embraced Christ by faith, God is your father. You are sons. You have an inheritance and you have many, many promises to you. And one of those promises is that no matter what difficulty you go through, it is an instrument in the hand of an all loving God that is bringing you into conformity to his son. If you know that, you're going to be able to have joy. Uh, joy. Joy is not something that you can just click on, all right? It's not something as if, if you're going through the loss of a loved one or the loss of an income or your house is getting stripped off you or you've broken your leg or you've got a terrible doctor's diagnosis, a terrible pastor would come up to you and say, hey, buddy, remember, have some joy and then walk out. Joy is not something you can switch on. Joy is something that arises up out of something deeper. So there actually needs to be a foundation in place that you are connected to and that brings joy through the difficulties and the trials and the hardships. So joy is secondary and the reason you can have joy is because you have the mindset that hardships give me character. Every hardship I go through, every difficulty I go through of all sorts of kinds, maybe it's a consequence of sin, maybe it's somebody else's sin, maybe it's persecution, maybe it's just stuff that happens in life, maybe it's health related, whatever it is, this is forging in me Christ-like character. Knowing that promise from God enables you to have joy in the middle of the difficulty. So the two steps are, number one, know that hardships are good for you, and second of all, embrace it. There you go. That's the shortcut to having joy through trials and to being somebody who proactively looks for and embraces 
hardship. All right, now go over to verse 12 of the same chapter. James chapter 1, verse 12, he picks up the same theme. <laughs> and he says, blessed is the man. That's what I want you guys to be. That's what we pray for you guys to be, is blessed men. The sort of men that God looks on and says, they're doing well, they're in my will, I can bless them. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So first of all, let me say in brief that if you do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, and if God is not your father, then you don't have any of these promises. In fact, it's going directly the opposite way. Every affliction you receive is just a taste of the terrible hell to come. Whereas if you are a Christian and you've been saved by grace, the Lord Jesus has, a, has brought you into his family and the father has adopted you, every affliction is for your good. We need to press this home for anybody that has not placed their own faith in Jesus Christ, is that these promises are not for you. All the promises of God come in and through the person of Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Embrace him. Give up your own doing. Give up your own self-help. Give up your own attempts at restoring or redeeming yourself. It is all in Jesus Christ. But one of the promises you get in Jesus Christ is not no hardships, but that through the hardships you'll get character and rewards in the crown of life. But there's conditions here. You'll notice in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He doesn't say, blessed is the man who goes through trials. Because every one of us goes through trials and not everybody remains steadfast. He's saying two things. Yes, you have to go through the trials, but you also have to remain steadfast through the trial. Anybody can go through, a, you know, any old boat can go through a storm uh, that, that, that rocks and reels it and throws it all over the place. And then when the storm is passed, the boat is 30 kilometers away. And then the, the person on the boat wants to say, there you go. I made it through the storm. I'm a great sailor. I'm a secure vessel. That's not the case. Anybody can go through a storm and end up wherever it sh shifted you, wherever it put you. What James is saying is, blessed is the man who, when he's under the trial, when he's under the pressure, when he's under the pump and the wind is coming against him and the waves are tossing him, he's not tossed to and fro. He's steadfast. His anchor holds. He remains where he is and he's not budged when the storm clears. So how many of us would want to sort of look back as we talk about hardships in life and you might want to say, yeah, I've seen some hardships. I've been through some tough things. Geez, my wife has treated me this way or that way. I lost somebody in my family. I got fired. I went through financial hardship. I got, you know, went through some terrible business in a church and we want to rack those up assuming that going through them means passing them, and they don't. Remaining steadfast in character and developing character through them is what passes the test. So we need to uh, 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 see storms and hardships not just as something to last through, but something to last through without moving. Remaining steadfast is that which gets the reward. So we need to remember, though, of course, we're not just a boat in an ocean that inevitably has some winds come by. We are sons being 
raised. We are princes being being trained. We are soldiers being developed. We have a mission like we spoke about last meeting. We're supposed to think like patriarchs who believe in a, a corporate identity, a father's heart, and intentional masculinity. That's all ahead of us. Therefore, all the things that come to us are not just random storms. They are training by a good God who loves us. So, you'll then see the reward. So, if you look at verse 12... And we'll also swing back to verse 2. James talks about a, uh, a reward. He says in verse 12 that if you stand fast and you, you actually pass the test, you don't give in to the sin, you don't walk away from the Lord, you don't start striking out at everybody else, you're not made more bitter, you remain steadfast through it. He says you get the crown of life. You need to understand that that is a sign of divine approval. And God says he's giving the crown of life to somebody. He's, that's getting honored with the, the Queen's Medal of Honor. That's what that is. The, 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 the highest authority and rank and honor in the world is bestowing on you something that says we're proud of this. We honor this. There has been a good job done. Augustine always used to say that um, God crowns his own gifts. It's not you that God's proud of. He's doing the work in you that makes you steadfast. But nonetheless, he loves us so much, he gives us a crown of life. I wonder just as in, in passing, how many of you have, have suffered in life, whether you've noticed it or not, because your dad never honored good stuff that you did. Or maybe you're a dad who, who do, realizes you don't do that. You don't look at something that your son's done well and honor it with intention and say, that was, that was great. You've done a good job. And what might be what was our father's problem or maybe our problem, we go, well, it was a pretty crappy good job. Like it wasn't perfect. If you really assess it, it could have been a lot better and they left a lot undone. But friends, if the father can crown us with rewards for our work, sin riddled though it is, then we can honor other men and honor our sons and uh, uh, doing so raises them up to, uh, to, to the mark. So I encourage you, do that. Honor your sons. God does that to us. He honors us with the crown of life. There was a, uh, a Puritan by the name of uh, uh, John Trapp. And he said, The man that rides to be crowned will not think much of a rainy day. He that rides to be crowned by a king will not think much of a rainy day. If you're on your horseback and you've got a few days to travel and you're going to go get a royal crown chucked on your head, you're not going to be complaining much about getting rained on on the way. That's our mindset with, with trials and difficulties. I've got a crown coming. I've got a kingdom to inherit. I've got an eternal life ahead of me that is nothing but glory. I don't mind getting rained on a little bit. That's making me holy. It's getting me more jewels in the crown. But look at the second blessing or the reward that you get. If you remain steadfast under trial, the reward is, what would you want? What do you, what do you think the reward would be? No more, no more suffering. If you pass the test, then no more trials, right? In fact, verse 2 says that what we get, if we go through the trials, what we get is more steadfastness. 
which he then says in verse 12 is the thing you need to go through more trials. It's like a, um, I had a mate who was in the army and he said uh, there was, uh, he, was, he was getting trained. They did some ridiculous 40 kilogram pack on their head and a chain around their face and they had to swim 20 kilometers in the ocean, something like that, forging character. And then you get, he got back onto the, uh, onto the sand, um, obviously I'm, I'm missing the details, gets back on the sand and the, uh, the sergeant, whatever the guy's name was, uh, uh, threw him a snorkel, right? He goes, good job, you passed, you did it. Lots of other guys failed. You passed. And he threw him a snorkel. And in that moment, he knew my reward informs what is about to happen to me. What else is coming to me? Now I've got a snorkel. And then he had to go on some other ridiculous test or trial or training involving holding your breath underwater, breathing through a tube, and getting whipped. All that sort of stuff that they do to the young guys in the army to forge character. That's that's what God does to us. He says, good job, you, you made it through the test. Here's some steadfastness. And when you get steadfastness, you realize, oh, I'm going to have to use this. You know what steadfastness is good for? Storms, trials, things that pull you, things that sink hooks into your back and try and yank you down. That's when you need steadfastness. So the reward of making it is more trials. Thank the Lord. Here's what we need to rem remember is that hardship is absolutely unavoidable. Hardship is unavoidable because God has woven it into creation. Not just the fallen creation. God wove hardship into the unfallen creation. Uh, before the fall, work was given to Adam. He was, he was given a lot of work to do. He was told, work and keep the garden. Then he was given a wife to look after. He was given commands, don't eat of the tree, so fight that temptation. He was told to name all of the animals. He was told to, to do things that was going to require work. Now, I don't think that before the fall, Adam was able to look at a tree and, you know, click his finger like Minecraft and turn it into a beam of wood and then build a house with a few more clicks. And as he builds XP, he was able to just effortlessly build stuff. If Adam was going to be required to work, build a city for his family and into the future, had he not fallen, it was going to require work. But it was uncursed work. So he still sweated a bit. He still would have found a little bit of difficulty, but it wouldn't have been cursed, horrible, painful, suffering difficulty. It would have been blessed difficulty, but nonetheless, it was still going to require hardship. Sustaining life was easy. All you had to do was walk up and grab a bacon apple off the tree and eat it and you're, you're fed for a week. It doesn't matter. But the working did require hardship. So um, all of that shows us that God has woven, even without sin, into the world a reality that hardship brings production. So here's what Adam's mindset should have been. If Adam came up to a difficulty, something that required hardship, I've got to knock down a tree to build a shelter, to build a whatever, I want to do something to the glory of God, I've got to uh, fight this serpent that's coming to tempt my wife, I've got to uh, 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 name all of the animals and keep on coming up with names for the animals. He, he would never have thought, this is a punishment, God's cursing me. No. His mindset should have been, I'm Adam. I'm a man. I am man. He was the only man. I am man. I was made for this. He was literally made to work. When hardship comes, Adam should have thought, I was made for this. When Satan came, he should have embraced that difficulty and fought the serpent that was coming to lie to his wife and said, I was made for this. Men were made for difficulty and difficulty was made for men. Then the fall happened. 
And the fall had a couple of effects. Number one, uh, now because of the fall, you have a very active, very empowered enemy named Satan. He's a prowling lion. He's a slithering dragon. But we must, whenever he comes, as James even says he will, we need to resist him, put up an opposition to him, and he will flee from you. Because when his temptations come, and he won't be the, the glowing red deviled face man in front of you, it'll be veiled in some kind of temptation. When the devil comes, we say, we are the spiritual descendants of the serpent crusher. I was made for this. The devil comes up. James says, resist him. He'll run away because he knows you were made for that hardship. Embrace the hardship of spiritual warfare through godliness, fighting temptation. A man who doesn't embrace hardship from the devil doesn't know who he is. You don't realize you're made for that. And the devil knows it. And so you fail every time the test comes because you don't realize you're made for it. Secondly, this side of the fall, we do still have a gracious father who sends difficulties to us to grow us out of sinful habits and into perfection. That's what we said the purpose of trials are. But Hebrews 12 tells us it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. That's the mind. When a son is getting trained by a father, cleaning the room, carrying some stuff, helping his mom out, doing whatever around the house, when he's being trained like that, only the sinful and immature son thinks, what is happening to me? I'm meant to be worshipped. I'm meant to be served. What is happening to me? A son who has been well trained in his sonship thinks, I'm a son. I've got a dad. I was made for this hardship. He's a good dad, so he gives it to me. I'm his son, so I'll embrace it. If you're a son, you will embrace hardship. And every man who does not embrace hardship does not know that he has a father and doesn't know who he is, so he fails the test every time. Also, this side of the curse, men have been given a very specific curse. God didn't just you know, throw a generic curse on the world for everybody. He cursed the devil to be shamed that even in his, his victory, he will have his head crushed. He cursed the wife very specifically and said, in your area of productivity, which is the womb and the marriage relationship to your husband, you'll find it difficulty. You'll hate his headship and you'll have to shed a lot of blood through childbirth. But then also he specifically cursed the man in verse 17 and 19 of Genesis 3. He said, for you though, Adam, where you work, I'll make it hard for you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this side of the, the fall, under the grace of God, we still go through those hardships as a part of the curse. But when you suffer them through your hard work, when hardship occurs because of your laboring to be productive, you have to say to yourself, I'm a man. This curse was made for me. Bring it on. This was meant for me. You have to think of it that way. This curse was made for me and I was made for this. It's a curse. It's not an impossibility. Too many men think that because we're this side of the curse and because we're not glorified yet, everything's an impossibility. But it's not. Adam was not told you'll never be able to work the ground, you'll never be able to feed, you'll never be able to protect your wife. He was told you'll do it, but it's going to cost blood, sweat, and tears. 
Some of you think that there's an impossibility in front of you in life, an impossibility that God's brought you to simply because it costs something when you need to realize I was made for this. Of course, it's going to cost something, but it's a curse, not an impossibility. John Trapp said, God had one son without sin, but he has none without sorrow. Every son of, God's go through, son of God goes through sorrow, even the perfect one, Jesus. None of us are exempt. Hardships are just normal. They're a part of growing up. They're a part of being a man. They're a part of being a Christian. And to not embrace hardship, if we can reverse all of the blessings that, that James says, he says, when you embrace hardship, you get perseverance and you are lacking nothing. Perfect. Well, we can turn it around, can't we? Hardships is how God grows men. If you do not embrace hardship, you will be lacking in everything, completely imperfect, lacking all steadfastness, failing every test, receiving no crown of life. But the blessings are glorious. The blessings are glorious. What is your relationship with hardship? We're going to go to James chapter 5. So you can swing there or swipe there, whatever you got. In James chapter 5, he picks up the, the patience of suffering again. But I want to ask you, what is your relationship with suffering? Does it make you complain to yourself, to your wife, to people around you? Are you a complainer in suffering? Does hardship, are you a quitter? You just don't go through a lot of hardship because you keep on finding the easy road and so you quit to avoid it. Are you a compromiser? The hardship comes and you're willing to do whatever sin, whatever questionable moral thing, whatever avoidance, whatever lie you need to tell just to get out of the hardship, that's you. Maybe. Maybe you blame others. You just start looking at what's going wrong and you start whacking other people with the blame for this because if it was just on you, you wouldn't be going through any hardship. It's the wife's fault. She gets blamed. It's the kid's fault. They're not supposed to be hard to raise. It's the boss's fault. Work is supposed to be super easy. Doesn't everybody understand this? Maybe you become jealous of other people. Think about the last time you went through a serious hardship. Did you look at other people who weren't going through something and think, those suckers, those losers, I'm jealous of what they're having, but if they were really godly or it's their fault or they're in some kind of sin, that's why they're not suffering. Or you're just on the other side of being purely jealous and coveting what other people have. God, give me their peace. Give me that relationship with the wife. Give me that level of, of fatherhood. Give me that easy job. Give me that success. Give me that fast road to glory like they have. Suffering brings out the worst in us if the worst is in us. So look at James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. I'm going to pick a couple of, couple of things that he says. Verse 7 and 8, he says, be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. There you go. You thought it was going to be a short-term thing, didn't you? Nope. Until he comes back. There you go. That's as long as it can be. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until... The coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. If you have the mindset that hardship is good for you, that it brings about character, then you are able to be patient while it is working. It, it's so important. The reason the farmer is willing to wait six months to get some crop it's because it's the sort of thing worth waiting six months for. It's food. You can't live without it. It's extremely important. 
Right? You don't wait six months for a snack. You don't wait six months for a, a bad movie. You don't wait six months in line for a bad coffee. You wait six months for something that is severely important. And your character is more important to you than money, than food. You take your character everywhere. You do everything with your character. Everything you touch, you taint or make good through your character. So it is absolutely valuable. It is worth being patient through. But there's another reality that, that he's saying here. Being patient through suffering and, and trials and afflictions just shows that you know how the world works. He uses the example of the farmer, but it's sort of a, a no-brainer. Can you imagine a farmer two days after throwing a bunch of soil into a 150,000 hectare uh, 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 property, sits down with his wife or sits down with the blokes over a beer and goes, I just, and starts welling up, starts complaining, starts stomping his foot, throwing his beer against the wall. There's just no crop yet, you know? It's hard. I don't deserve this. The other guys around him would just go, you literally don't even know how the world works. <laughs> That's how farming works. You have to wait. And when we, it's, it's just a misnomer. It's like farmers aren't patient. They have no choice. That's how the world works. The same thing should be with men. When we get pay, impatient, we start getting annoyed, start getting impatient under suffering and trials. All we're saying is, we don't understand how the world works. We have no clue how God designed this world. Because if we did, we would understand, this is just how it works. Yeah, going to go through some financial hardship. God's going to teach me some lessons. I'll have to be resourceful, do what I can to provide for the family. Yeah, it's called sickness. The cursed body, glorify God through it. I'm going to go through it, cry when I need to cry, talk to people when I need to talk to. But I'm not getting, un, I'm not getting some un, injustice from God here. Patience shows that you know how the world works. Then he says, establish your hearts. Look at verse 8. Be patient, establish your hearts. Which basically means secure your mind. Secure your mind and heart in a mindset that you know hardships bring good character, make me like Christ. Remember, you keep telling yourself the phrase, I was made for hardship. That's establishing your heart. That's drilling the peg down into the ground. Establish your hearts. Number three, do not grumble against one another. He says this in verse nine. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not yourself be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Matthew Henry quote, uh, 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 comments on this and he says, Do not make one another uneasy by your murmuring groans at what befalls you. Do not make yourself uneasy and make one another uneasy by thus groaning to and grieving one another. Basically, he's saying, don't complain and moan about all of your problems to everybody. Guys need a couple of guys that we can, you know, mention a hardship or a difficulty to so that you, they can help you out and know how to be patient, know what things to take. We all need that. Guys need guys. But good friends are not people who just let you complain. Matthew Henry says, don't grieve other people. Uh, I, I, I use the phrase, I always say to guys and gals, when you've got a massive cut on your arm or a gash down your leg or a bleeding nose, you put a band-aid on it. It's just common decency to not have to bleed over everybody else. Make your problem everyone's problem. And if they don't let me bleed on them, well, they just, they're not loving. They're not supportive. No, it's common courtesy. Contain your own blood contain your own problem. So 
Matthew Henry says very much, don't grumb, uh, James says it and Henry comments on it. You don't need to burden everybody else with your problems. Don't let jealousy rile up within your heart so that you have to put your problems onto everybody else and don't blame others. Do not grumble against one another. And then in verse 10, he shows us to learn by example. In verse 10, he says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider blessed those who remained steadfast. You, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job and how you have, and, and, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful in the account of Job. Learn through examples. You, we need to look through the Word of God and, and be reading it, gentlemen, and read it biographically. Find the guys like Vic preached a great miniseries on, on Joseph's life who just went through all sorts of hardships. Learn from that. Learn from Abraham. Learn from Paul and his hardships. Learn from Jesus. Learn from David. Read the Psalms. Read the Bible biographically. Look at these guys who went before me. They're my example of what steadfastness looks like. And Job and his story shows me, you make it through the difficulty, you see that God is gracious and merciful and building us up into men. I've got three last uh, 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 dot points of what we should do. Uh, a couple of more specific applications. Since hardship is for our good, since hardship is, is sometimes voluntary, sometimes unavoidable, uh, 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 sometimes uh, involuntary or is voluntary, establish your hearts with a mindset. Like I've said over and over again, hardship produces character. It's for your joy. You were made for this. <clears throat> we said before at the very beginning, don't avert yourself from conflict. Don't be afraid of conflict. Almost always at every point in your life, at every big decision, at every fork in the road, relationships you're in, work that you're in, problems in the family, church staff, whatever, almost all of the time when you're at a fork in the road, there is a hard path and an easy path, and the hard path is the right one to go down. If it's not necessarily the only right one to go down, it's almost every single time, without exception, the best one to go down. Because you were made for hardship. You're forged into more of a man through the hardship. Almost every single time, the, 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 the choice should be, apply yourself to hardship. <clears throat> I want to I just apply this briefly to, to the marriage. Like some, some of you guys aren't married and some of you guys are teenagers and cannot, maybe don't even desire uh, to think about uh, getting married. But there will be a day when you grow up and there's a woman that you would give the world for lose the world for and fight the world for. And guys who are married know that. Yeah, they're, 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 your woman is given to you by the Lord and she is amazing. Sinner like you, but she is amazing. And in that marriage, one of the ways that modern day love or, or just male's conflict aversion manifests is that we don't want to have difficult conversations and we don't want to address something that needs to be addressed because we're afraid of the conflict. And in doing that, we repeat Adam's mistake, who didn't do the right thing. When he was standing there, some slithering, snaky angel guy is talking to his wife about something God said not to do. His choice was simple. Talk the serpent down, take his wife aside, correct her, or watch and see what happens. Which choice did he take? I'll wait and see what happens. 
Then the next point, the serpent plucks a, plucks a fruit off, starts waving around in Eve's face, and he has the decision, do I confront that beast, or do I just hope for the best that she'll be wise enough? Yeah, I'll go the easy route. She takes the fruit. She bites it. Then she offers it to him, another fork in the road. What do I do? Confront my wife, rebuke my wife, rebuke the devil, take my wife to the Lord and say, she sinned, but I'm still perfect. Take my life in her place, please, Lord. I'll die. Or do I just take it? Don't want to put up with her. You know how she gets. It's a Tuesday. Well, he takes it easy, right? He just takes the apple, has a bite, goes with her. The Lord rocks up. Adam has option. Do I go and front the Lord, confess my sin, take leadership over the family, or do I hide and put fig leaves over me? Yep, option two sounds pretty easy. Then the Lord actually finds me, confronts me, I'm naked before him, and he says, what did you do? And he's got two options, confess, confront, receive, rebuke, or lie and blame the chick. He makes it pretty easy. And actually, God, this is kind of your fault. You gave me a woman. You know how she is. You made her with that really manipulative gene in there, and she got me, man. It's her fault she did it. At every point, he took the easy road. And in marriage, you need to lovingly, gently, humbly, graciously, but with real authority and leadership, approach the conversations that need to be had. Um, uh, because part of, gen part of Adam's rebuke was... Because you listened to your wife, <laughs> therefore, curse. Sometimes listening to our wife is exactly what you need. She's the other half of the brain. Sometimes listening to your wife is listening to the easy road in your head, and you're tempted to take it because there's an external voice, but you need to confront it, and you need to lovingly lead in those moments, have the difficult conversations. God's not going to send a second husband along to have the conversation. Talk, discuss, and lead. Avoiding to do that is like ignoring weeds. It, they never just go away on their own. It'll only get worse. Secondly, embrace self-inflicted hardship. Inflict yourself with hardship voluntarily. Uh, this does not mean whipping yourself, hurting yourself, fasting for no good reason, although fasting has many spiritual uh, 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 goods about it. But what I mean is hard work Working harder than you necessarily need to, working harder than other guys do, your age or in your level of life, is character building. Voluntary hardship. Because you know that hardship is not an option. You just have to choose which hardship you want. The Proverbs says, let me, let me make sure I read it so I don't butcher it. Uh, in Proverbs 20 verse 4, Proverbs says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. That's when you're supposed to plow. The sluggard doesn't do that. He's playing Xbox. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will beg at harvest and have nothing. Hard work ends up coming. It's either now when it's productive or later when it's just suffering. You have to work really hard to play catch up and beg later from the productive people. Ask for lots of help in your marriage because you didn't address things earlier. Ask for lots of help from other people because you didn't budget ahead. All that sort of stuff. Hardship comes later and it hits harder. But if we work hard now, it's more productive. There's our choice in front of us. You can't take the easy road. Don't use it as an option. Tell yourself, I was made for the hardship. I will embrace it. And then lastly, just a reminder of what James said. Don't be moved. Establish your heart. Let your morals, your convictions, your principles, your character be that which is driven into the ground. And unless the word of God or somebody with the word of God would show you that something is in error, you stand fast under those trials. And you look to Jesus because number one, he ordains it, right? Jesus is the one who planned this for you. 
He lived it. He can sympathize with you. He died for you and has therefore secured your forgiveness for whatever sins are in the past and whatever sins you'll commit through this hardship. He empowers you because he gave you the Holy Spirit in preparation for hardship. He's returning for you, James said. He's coming back. He gave you his promise. He's going to return and end suffering, pain, and those kinds of hardships. And he is rewarding you. Every suffering you go through and pass the test, he's chiseling out another spot for a gem and a jewel on your crown. He is the rewarding older brother, Lord Jesus Christ. So you have the, uh, the temptation through hardship through, to be moved through into sin, giving up and just lashing out in the lusts of the flesh. Or you deny, all your fa- you deny your faith or deny convictions that you have in your faith. Or you refu- refuse to believe that God is good and he is sovereign. But in the denial of all of those, brothers, in hardship, be blessed. Establish your heart. It is all good for you. God has made you for this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over us. And then we're going to stand up. J- Jake, do you want to play now? Or, uh, yeah, yeah, you're good to play now. Yep, gold. You got the guitar? All right, sweet. I'll, I'll pray till you get back. Oh, well, guys, do you want to uh, be upstanding? Uh, Jake's going to run. He's going grab to grab the guitar. On the email you got, there was some lyrics. We picked ones we all know, though. Um, I can't remember what they are. How Great They Are and uh, Be Thou My Vision. Songs that have I've historically been uh, written by real tough guys. And, and they're praying, Lord, in the hardships. Be my vision. Uh, uh, as, as, as hard and difficult as, as things are in life, just the calling I've got, the Lord is worthy how great he is. So I'm just going to pray and Jake will come back and lead us in a couple of songs and the lyrics will be on that, that email that you would have gotten. Father God, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in your grace, you have designed us as men in a certain way and you've designed this world in a certain way that we, uh, we never, ever go through pointless suffering. Uh, We never, like Job, go through suffering that has not passed through your sovereign hands, that the devil does not get free reign on us, but is on a leash. Uh, Lord, we thank you that our difficulties, even our own sins and our own failures are our own fault, Lord, but you will not let a single one come out in our life that you're not going to use somehow to teach us a lesson, make us us more manly, make us more Christ-like, make us more godly. I pray, Lord, for the gentlemen that are going through sufferings because of their own sin, in their marriages, in their families, in their workplace, uh, 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 sexually or in any other kind of way, Lord, men who are under the pump because of their own sin. I pray that you would give to them the confidence that in Jesus they are forgiven and that by the Holy Spirit they can learn, they can grow, and that you are not finished with them or ashamed of them. Lord God, I pray for those who are under uh, affliction and hardship simply because of external people that other people are putting onto them, the loss of jobs because of a uh, decision of conscience or a, um, a difficulty in the family because of a, a, uh, a difficult person. Lord, I pray that you would give to them wisdom, patience. This is just how the world works. This is good for me. I was made for this. Would you give them leadership and wisdom, Lord? And for those who are suffering, uh, uh, not necessarily uh, uh, terribly, but who are in the middle of hardship because of the decisions they've made around hard work, they've, they've inflicted themselves with this, Lord. They put more in their pack than they had before, and uh, now the march is hard. I pray, Lord, that you would not lead them to regret, not lead them into quitting, not let them compromise or take easy roads out, but would you forge their character through constancy and through perseverance? Would you give them steadfastness that they may honor Christ through future sufferings as well. 
Lord, I pray for the men of this church and as the whole and into the future. Would you make them leaders of their families, evangelists to their neighbors and their work workmates, Lord, that we would be a um, a light shining in this dark and degenerate gener- generation. Uh, Lord, I pray that our, our wives would be blessed because we are their husbands, that our children would rise up and be young men and women of the word and obedience because of our, our fathering and grandfathering and uncling and all of that. Lord, may you be glorified through the men of Hope Church. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, and therefore we pray confidently. And everybody said, Amen. All right, Jake's got us.